today. Now I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. And I am just so happy that we're moving in to another chapter in our study. It's exciting for me to get from one chapter to the next. We, we spend a lot of time in these scriptures trying to understand them. And we come to a very important one here in this 12th chapter. And I hope that you'll understand uh, as we go through this why this is such an important chapter. But I, I really love the study of Matthew, and it's, it has enriched my understanding of the Scripture just to get into this and to study it, and I hope that it's helped you as well. I believe that Matthew is a very good foundation for us to build on. Here we see the life and the teachings, the preaching of the Savior, and that is so important for us to know. I think the best way that we can do this today, rather than me giving you a long introduction, is that we go straight to the text and read this, and then you'll understand better why I've chosen the title of this message, The Sovereign of the Sabbath. Now, if you'd stand with me, please, as we look at God's Word. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger, and he began to pluck the corn... And to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day." And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day? Will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. And help us, Lord, as we look into this text to see what you'd have for us. Help us to learn from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know that if you've been with us very long, that you have heard me often say that Christianity is Christ. It stands to reason that if we're going to learn what the Christian religion is about, then we have to learn about the one who is Christianity, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation about Jesus. Uh, many people think of him as a very passive person, they think that more than anything that Jesus wanted to get people together, that he wanted people to get along, he wanted them to live in harmony. They think that there was no criticism in Jesus, there were no harsh words that he ever spoke, there was no anger that was found in him. And they mostly believe that what Jesus was, 
willing to do was to overlook the differences that people have, that he was able or would overlook the different beliefs that they had, that Jesus was a great compromiser and that it was possible for him to work with in the framework of any belief system. And they think that the most important characteristic of Jesus is that he respected other people, he was never judgmental about them, and certainly Jesus was never confrontational. And I would like to say that those characterizations of Jesus are misunderstandings. They're misunderstandings of the man, they're misunderstandings of his character, they're misunderstandings of his work, and most importantly, they are misunderstandings that he is God who is the sovereign over all the entire universe. Jesus was not interested in what people thought. He was a man of truth. The truth was the most important thing to him. Jesus is truth. And anything that's contrary to truth would be contrary to him. And anything that's contrary to truth is contrary to Christianity because Christianity is Christ. And so throughout his life, as we look at how Jesus ministered, he was often in confrontational mode. And that's because he was standing for the truth. And whenever you stand for the truth, there are people that don't believe it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to abide with it. And so you're not going to be able to teach truth without running afoul of people and offending them. And so we often find Jesus being offensive to people. And this is what we see here. Here he is public enemy number one to those people that had their own version of truth and they weren't willing to surrender to the real truth as it exists in Christ. And those that hated Jesus the most were those that were used to the people regarding them as the teachers of truth. They were the ones that were looked up to. They were the models of excellence. They were the spiritually elite. They were the paragons of society. They were the most righteous or so they thought. And then when this genuine article came along, the one who is real truth, the one who is real righteousness, the one who is true perfection, when he came, all of these others began to pale in comparison to him. And so when Jesus came preaching the truth of God, these other people were exposed and they hated Jesus for it because that truth that he preached did in fact expose them as being false. Now, according to those that have misunderstandings of Jesus, they would think that Jesus would never do anything to purposely provoke a confrontation. If anything, what Jesus would do was to use private diplomacy so as not to embarrass these people, but he would just gently pull them aside and he would point out the errors of their ways. And if they were willing to accept it, then fine. And if they weren't willing to accept it, that's fine too. Because everyone has the right to have their own version of truth. Well, I'd have to ask you to consider what happens here on the Sabbath day, what Jesus did in Matthew 12. Jesus very easily could have avoided this confrontation by giving the scribes and Pharisees their due. He could have abided by what they thought the Sabbath day was all about. He could have observed their restrictions And by doing so, he would have avoided this public embarrassment that they had over the truth of the Sabbath day. You see, when Jesus walked through that field of wheat, he knew exactly how they felt about the Sabbath. He could have avoided that conflict, but he chose not to. And that's because it was not his intent to avoid conflict, but rather it was his intent to destroy a wicked religious system that was responsible for sending the souls of people to hell. 
You know, sometimes people don't like it when I am very direct about things, when I talk about what other people believe. People get upset when I speak about Roman Catholicism or Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses and the other cults. They don't like a preaching that is a non-inclusive religion. They don't like to hear preaching that sees only one truth, and that truth is found in Jesus Christ, and it denies anything else that could be truth. It denies anything else that's counter or would would pretend to be truth, I would say. It denies everything that is counter to Jesus' teachings. Now, the issue today is still truth. The issue today is still that we must speak the truth. But in churches today, it seems that preachers are more interested in compromise. Preachers don't want to hurt people's feelings, and so the truth is minimized so that it doesn't cause friction. And the truth is marginalized in order to promote unity. So truth really doesn't matter much today. But is that what the Scripture says? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Thessalonians. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and listen to that last part, and belief of the truth. And so it's our purpose as it was the purpose of Jesus to destroy any religious system that does not preach truth. Well, how do we do that? Well, we don't do it by violence, of course. We don't do what Roman Catholicism did in the past and in some cases continues to do today. We don't persecute people because they believe differently than we do. Instead, we combat them with the one offensive weapon that God has given us, and that is the sword of the Spirit. We combat the untruths of all these false religions with the gospel of truth that comes straight from the scriptures and the scriptures alone. It is exactly as Hebrews says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is what we combat heresy with. This is what we do. We bring people to the knowledge of salvation. And this two-edged sword of truth, the word of God, divides and conquers. And we can't be passive about that. We can't just sit, sit around and let these lies have their free course. Because if we do, what Satan does is to continue to deceive people and they die as unbelievers. There's only one thing that's ever going to save a soul, and that is to give people the truth. The truth as it is found in Jesus Christ. Now, this is what we're going to talk about in these messages on the Sabbath. Uh, This is an attack that Jesus made against this pharisaical religious system, and this is what led to the ultimate rejection of Jesus as the Christ. This is it right here. This led to his rejection as the Christ. Now, we've noticed as we've arrived at this chapter that the opposition to Jesus is mounting. In the previous chapter, we dealt with doubt there. There were people that doubted. There was also apathy, and that apathy turned into criticism. Soon, as we'll see later in this chapter, that it turns to blasphemy and then to hardened rejection against Christ. And then finally, it leads to the crucifixion at Calvary. And so for us to understand how critical that these actions of Jesus were here in in chapter 12, 
We need to understand why did these religious leaders hate him so much. And to understand that, we have to know the background of their system. And I want to get into that some today. Today's message will be mostly informational, mostly introductory. We're not actually going to get into the activity of the disciples much or into Jesus' teachings about the Sabbath in this message. But today I want to start explaining to you why the observance of the Sabbath meant everything to the Pharisees. This was the heart of their religion. And if you could boil it all down to one central issue, it was the Sabbath day. And all the laws that they had put in place to make sure the Sabbath was kept in the way that they said it ought to be kept. The Sabbath was their sacred cow. The sacred cow of the Pharisees. And what Jesus was determined to do was to take this fatted, swelled up calf and kill it. This is Jesus' intent. So Jesus went at the very heart of their error. He didn't attack the tax collectors. He didn't go after the prostitutes. He didn't go after the ones who most people thought were the worst of sinners. But rather, Jesus attacked the religious elite. He violated their Sabbath. He violated their sanctum sanctorum, the one place they'd put all of their confidence and all of their faith in. All of their confidence was in the Sabbath. And this is what Jesus met head on. And so these religious leaders saw Jesus as the greatest threat that there was to their power. To them, Jesus was the most dangerous person they had ever met. And that's because there was no one that taught like him. There was no one that could do the miracles that he did. No one could stand up to him and argue against his reasoning on the scriptures. And so if anyone could destroy them, it was Jesus. And so what they had to do was destroy him first. They had to get to him first before he tore down completely their whole religious system. See, Jesus was very, very serious about truth. And friends, we need to be just as serious about it as Jesus was. So that kind of gives you an idea where we're going in this passage. You might have read this, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. Not really thought very much about it. But I want you to understand that here we find a crystallizing moment in the ministry of Jesus. Chapter 12 is a turning point from this wide-eyed fascination with Jesus and the healing ministry. It turns to these concerted attempts to kill him. Now, the passage begins very simply with a simple statement. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. Now, there in our King James Version, corn means wheat. And his disciples went hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn or the heads of wheat and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Now there is the key to the problem of the passage, is that Jesus did what the Pharisees said was unlawful to do on the Sabbath. Now let's begin then the heart of the message here today by talking about this, the principle of the Sabbath. What about the principle of the Sabbath? What does it actually mean? What is that? What is the Sabbath? And you'd be surprised at the numbers of people that think that Sabbath is just another word for Saturday. Because the Sabbath was observed on on Saturday, that's what the word means. That's just another word for Saturday. But Sabbath does not mean Saturday. The word actually means cessation. Cessation. Now, if you would please, I would like you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, and here's where we find a derivative uh, for the word Sabbath. 
after God had created the world. And in six days, God created the entire universe and the earth and everything that's in it. And in Genesis chapter 2, when the creation was finished, here we read this about the historical account. Genesis 2, verse number 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now verse number two says that God ended his work. He rested on the seventh day. Now there we don't actually see the word Sabbath in our English translation. But you see the word rested there? Rested is the word from which Sabbath is derived. The Hebrew word there is Shabbath. And it means to cease from work as God rested or he ceased from his work in the creation. And then I want you to notice again what verse number 3 says. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that he rested from all his work which God created and made. So God also sanctified the seventh day. And that means that God set it apart. That's what sanctification is. It's to set something apart. And the purpose of God setting this day apart was twofold. It was sanctified. And that tells us, first of all, that it was a day of worship. God sanctified it. God hallowed it. He made it a day of worship. I don't know, but there might be some of you this morning that used the Schofield Study Bible. And in the notes on Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, I think Schofield is a little bit misleading. This is what he says, and I quote from him, For 2,500 years of human life, absolutely no mention is made of it. Then the Sabbath was revealed, made a part of the law, and invested with the character of a sign between Jehovah and Israel as a perpetual reminder to Israel of their separation to God. Now, Schofield indicates by saying... After 2,500 years, the Sabbath was revealed and made a part of the law. He indicates that people did not know what God expected from them on the Sabbath. Now, it's true, we don't find the mention of the Sabbath until the law is given by Moses, but that does not mean that there was never a Sabbath day observance until that time. I think it's very clear from reading Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 that God did something very special about this one particular day. He sanctified it and he let it be known that it was a day to be dedicated as worship to him. And so I believe that when Adam was in the Garden of Eden that he knew about this day. He knew what God expected on the Sabbath day. He knew that God had hallowed the day and... After the fall of Adam and for those 2,500 years that led up to the giving of the law to Moses, people were very much aware that there was one particular day of the week that was to be used for worshiping God. Now, I realize that that's a point of contention among many. There's some people who say that the Sabbath was a part of the ceremonial law and that it wasn't practice prior to the giving of the law of Moses. People didn't know about it. And then it was suspended after Christ fulfilled the Mosaic law. And so they tell you that keeping one day in heaven is not for Christians, or one day in seven is not required for Christians today. We don't have to set aside one particular day for worship. But rather, we're living in a time of grace and we worship God any time that we want. We're not commanded to worship on any particular day. But I agree with what Matthew Henry, the 17th century commentator, wrote. He said, Sabbaths are as ancient as the world, 
And I see no reason to doubt that the Sabbath, being now instituted in innocency, was religiously observed by the people of God throughout the patriarchal age. The Sabbath of the Lord is truly honorable, and we have reason to honor it. Honor it for the sake of its antiquity, its great author, the sanctification of the first Sabbath by the holy God himself, and by our first parents in innocency in obedience to him. Now, of course, we do understand that there is a covenant sign that was attached to Israel as a, or attached to the Sabbath for Israel as a ceremonial part of the law. And uh, uh, that's a part, it was incorporated into the law and, and Israel was to observe it. But we do not believe, I do not believe that the Sabbath, the principle of the Sabbath was done away with. That principle still remains. We worship God today on Sundays because this is the day that Jesus arose from the dead. And I believe that this day is binding upon us as Christians in that sense. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's a special day, one out of seven, that has been set apart to observe as a day of worship. Now, a similar circumstance, and stay with me on this if you would and think about this, would be the tithe. The tithe was actually given before the Mosaic law. And then when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, the tithe was incorporated into the law and became a part of it. Well, I I don't think that the tithe has been done away with now that Christ has fulfilled the law. Christians are still supposed to tithe. So the, the, the tithe was codified in the Mosaic law, but that doesn't mean it wasn't practiced before. And so we see the same thing with the Sabbath day. God had sanctified it. He sanctified it from the very beginning, and it was to be used as a day to worship God. And then when the law was given, it was incorporated into that law in the Ten Commandments. Now, if you'll turn over a little bit further in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20, from where you are in Genesis chapter 2, here we can see how the law of the Sabbath is stated in the Decalogue. And that simply means in the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure that you're very familiar with this commandment. It's the fourth one in the list. God says this in verse number 8 of Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now there you see an attitude of worship that is attached to the Sabbath. And interestingly, this word sanctified that we just read a moment ago in Genesis chapter 2, it's actually the same word as we find in Exodus 20 verse 8 that is translated as holy. Comes from the, it's the very same word. Sanctified and holy mean the same thing. And then this law goes on. God says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Well, that part of the law has already been observed. Uh, being observed, probably not as faithfully as it should have been, but they knew that there was not to be any work on the Sabbath day. And this is because of what we're going to read here in just a moment in verse 11. So the law goes on in verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Then verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so there we see the reasoning for this. God rested, God blessed the seventh day, and he hallowed it. In other words, he considered it to be holy and to be sanctified. So now that we've 
read this, we also see not only did God expect a day of worship, but he also expected that the Sabbath would be a day of rest. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It is a cessation. Again, that's what the word means, to cease. The children of Israel were to rest from their labors. And so they didn't go about their normal business on the Sabbath day. They didn't work in the fields. They didn't buy and sell on the Sabbath. It was a different day. And that pointed to their faith in Christ, who is in God, who is the ruler and the sovereign over creation. So making the Sabbath a day of rest was a blessing from God. And I think you could understand that because it promoted the health of the people. God showed in his own rest that the Sabbath day was to be a time of refreshing, a time to rejuvenate the body, a time to re-energize. And it's really a lesson for workaholics if you look at it this way. You know, I suppose if you were to compare how much money that you would make in your life working six days instead of seven, you would find that working six days probably works in greater, greater to your favor than working seven days. Because the body has time to re-energize. The body has time to rejuvenate, to, to rest up and be ready for work again. And in the meantime, people that work seven days out of seven find out that they're irritable, they're worn out, they're miserable. And so it's not a good thing. God, God gave us a day of rest. So the Sabbath was a blessing from God. He, he knew what was best for us, and that's further proof that God would not let 2,500 years go by without letting people know what was best for them. Now, to give you an example of how special this day was and how that God emphasized rest, we can look at the example of the collection of manna when Israel was in the wilderness wanderings. That story is told in Exodus 16, and I'm not going to turn to that now. But when God gave manna... He provided bread that came down from heaven and the children of Israel would go out every morning and there on the ground they would find this manna and they would gather up that manna every day. But they were prohibited from gathering more than one day's food because if they did it would spoil. And there was a lesson in that. They went out every single day. They didn't gather for tomorrow because that was to show us that, uh, show them that we're to expect God's provision on a daily basis. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. God will provide for tomorrow. But there's another act of faith that's included here. They're trained to gather no more than what they needed for one day because if they did, it would spoil. But they were told something different when it came to the Sabbath day. On the seventh day, they were not to go out and gather any manna. Instead, what they were to do was on Friday, they were to gather twice as much in order that they would have something to eat on the Sabbath day. Now, all the other days, that, that manna would spoil if they tried to keep it. But on this one particular day, it would keep overnight, and they would have food to eat on Saturday. Now, Jesus, or God was showing them that, that the Sabbath was a day of cessation, and so they ceased from gathering manna on the Sabbath. They couldn't go out and cut wood. They couldn't gather sticks to build a fire because that was God's day. God sanctified it. It was a holy day, and they were to observe it. Now, contrary to what uh, some say about the Sabbath, that it's only a ceremonial law, that it's only a part of a ceremonial law given in the Ten Commandments, I disagree with that. The principle of the Sabbath is still with us. It still exists today. There is to be a cessation from normal activities on God's day. This is set aside for God. And just recently I had someone that was um, 
working at my house. And he said, I can come over and I can do this work on Sunday. And I said, no, you can't. You can't come on Sunday. We can go buy the materials on Sunday. I said, no, we won't. We don't buy materials on Sunday. It's God's day. We set it apart for him. Now, secondly, we look at the problem of the Sabbath. And the problem is not God's problem. It's not Jesus' problem. It's the Pharisees' problem. And they were very sensitive about the Sabbath. I don't have time to go into this fully today, but let me give you a little bit of information, and we're going to talk more about this part next week. But the Pharisees had a problem with the Sabbath. God had commanded it, and by seeing what we've just read in Exodus chapter 20, God was very serious about the observance of it. Now, I can give you some scriptures that are representative of God's command concerning it. In Exodus 35 verse 2, it says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Does that sound like God is serious about it? Jeremiah 17:22 it says neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the sabbath day neither do ye any work but hallow ye the sabbath day that seems that just means keep that holy as i commanded your fathers now god also gave a promise concerning the sabbath day there are good things that happen by keeping the sabbath jeremiah in this same chapter verse 24 and it shall come to pass if ye diligently hearken unto me saith the lord to bring in no burden through the gates of the city on the sabbath day but hallow the sabbath day to do no work therein then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of david riding in chariots and on horses they and their princes the men of judah and the inhabitants of jerusalem and this city shall remain forever now you see how serious this is to god god says if you are faithful to obey me if you will keep the sabbath day jerusalem will be blessed kings and princes will reign here david will be on the throne this city will last forever if you'll keep my sabbath and there the sabbath is emblematic of keeping all of god's commandments to honor him and that honor is summed up in the observance of the sabbath day that stood good as an example for all faithful obedience and then in that same chapter god gave a warning the 27th verse but if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the sabbath day and not to bear a burden even entering in at the gates of jerusalem on the sabbath day then i will kindle a fire in the gates thereof and it shall devour the palaces of jerusalem and it shall not be quenched jeremiah was prophesying to israel at a time when they weren't obeying god's sabbath they didn't pay attention to the sabbath observance they didn't obey god's commandments and because they didn't they didn't heed jeremiah's warning to return to the worship of the one true god by keeping the sabbath day then what god did was to destroy jerusalem destroy the temple and the people were taken into captivity and you can go on reading about this. Isaiah dealt with this in his prophecies, and Ezekiel dealt with this. Hosea and Amos dealt with this. This was a problem for the children of Israel. They did not keep the Sabbath, and because they didn't, it caused their, their entire country to be taken over by someone else. A foreign power occupied Israel. Now you fast forward 600 years from the time of Jeremiah, and you get into the time of Jesus and the Pharisees. 
Now the Pharisees are very hyped up about the Sabbath. Failure to observe the Sabbath had caused great problems for Israel, and the Pharisees knew that history very well. And so what they had done was to make the Sabbath day observance the very heart and soul of their worship. And so when you see them questioning Jesus about the Sabbath, there's fire in their eyes over this. To them, Jesus desecrated the Sabbath. That was by far the worst sin that you could ever commit. They were experts on defining sin. And they saw Jesus as being right in the middle of the worst sin that any person could ever do. But there was a problem with this. They had completely fouled it up. They didn't know what God's intention for the Sabbath was. They went beyond what God said. And really, folks, what they had done was to make an idol of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was actually their God instead of God being their God. And when we come back to this next week, we're going to look at what they'd done to the Sabbath and what they had done to this wonderful day of provision that God had given, the great blessing that God had given by by providing the Sabbath for them. And actually, the Sabbath day became the hardest, most unbearable burden that there was. It was an insufferable burden, what they had done with the Sabbath day. They did nothing but add misery to the people over the keeping of the Sabbath. And you can tie that right back into the end of the 11th chapter when Jesus said, my burden is light. When he says, my yoke is easy, this is what he has in mind. These unbearable burdens that the Pharisees had placed upon people so that the Sabbath day was a misery to them. And this is why chapter 12 begins with Jesus attacking that religious system. Now, as we finish this today, though, We need to understand somewhat of the application. I just don't want to give you a message where we have no application. We haven't got into the particulars of the problem. I'm setting the stage for you. It's a sensitive issue. And we see why Jesus responded in this way. But the real problem goes all the way back to what we learned in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the fifth chapter in Matthew and the key verse of that sermon was verse number 20? For I say unto you that unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees were the elite religionists. They were the paragons of society. They were the pillars of righteousness. Only the wrong type of righteousness. It was a self-righteousness. And they taught nothing that could actually help the people be right in the eyes of God. And so they were like many people today that are determined that they're going to earn their way into heaven. And that's most easily detected when you ask a person, do you think that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And you know the answer to that question that often comes back? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a very spiritual person. I don't do anything that's really bad. I don't have any terrible sins that I commit. There's nothing major in my life. And folks, whenever you hear an answer like that to the question, you know that that person is locked down into the same false righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What they're doing is trusting their goodness rather than the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus attacked this false religion. It was not the truth. And no matter what, Jesus is always going to stand for truth. And folks, if that causes friction, if there's controversy over it, if there's contention over it, then so be it. 
Jesus is not trying to get out of the controversy. He maintains truth because truth is the only thing that will save people. And the truth is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. The truth is that he died for those that are spiritually bankrupt. The truth is that he gave his life for those who cannot help themselves. There's nothing in them that makes them right with God. That's the truth of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Christ is for those, the truth is for those that will repent of those sins, understand where they stand in the eyes of God, repent of those sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them from the consequences of their sin. And so you're never going to find Jesus compromising truth. You're not going to find him trying to harmonize unrighteousness with righteousness. Those two things will not mix. They cannot live together. And so if you want Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, then you must believe his truth. It's the only truth that there is. God is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. Christ is Christianity. Christ is truth. Christianity is truth. And you have to know that. And if you've accepted anything else, if you put something else in its place, then you're as guilty as the scribes and Pharisees of trying to get to heaven on your own. There's only one way there. And that's through absolute belief in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, and that's the only way that you'll ever be forgiven of them. This is what Jesus is teaching here. You can't put the Sabbath or any observance of the Sabbath, anything you do on the Sabbath, in the way of Jesus Christ and substitute it for him. And as we're going to see, that Sabbath stands for all things, all works of the law, all goodness that you could ever hope to obtain by doing things your way instead of God's way. Jesus says, one truth, and I have it, and I'm going to show you what it means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for this opportunity that we have to explain these things and how important that this is. And although we may have preached somewhat of a a different message today, and uh, mainly informational and setting the stage for what comes after, Lord, I do hope that you will show someone very clearly today that the only thing that we can do that will save our souls is to believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot go our own way. We cannot go the way that seems right to us. We must give up our ways and surrender ourselves completely to you because you are truth. Speak to someone today, Lord. Draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.